if you are in a position where you can ask for more money at work, if they gave you a cost of living raise, cost of living is not two, 3% anymore, right? Inflation is at like eight, 9% now. And so if you just got a raise or you're in a position where you it's time to ask for one or get a promotion, ask for more money than you normally would. Because companies who are you know using your labor have to keep up with inflation as well, right? Because you do. Your expenses have to keep up. Welcome back to another season of When Hers United, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Walker. And first, let me say Happy New Year. And for all my loyal listeners, thank you for coming back. And to my new listeners that are tuning in for the first time, I sure hope that you stick around. Most importantly, I want you all to know that I truly appreciate each one of you for listening in today. This is season 11, episode two, entitled Budget Like a Boss with Pamela Kapalit. Before we jump into the interview, I want to tell you more about me and When Hers United, the podcast. I believe that success leaves clues. And When Hers United, the podcast was created to give you the clues you need to succeed in business, mindset, personal development, and self-care. These are the four pillars we stand on here at Winhurst United, which is why they are emphasized. So we all can live a complete and fulfilled life, both personally as well as professionally. I also believe that you can't be what you can't see. And this is why Winhurst United showcases women of color entrepreneurs. We want to level the playing field and also show other women of color, amazing women of color doing amazing things. If you love Winhurst United, please invite someone you know to listen and tell your friend to tell a friend. Let's spread the knowledge, y'all. You know, we believe in being empowered and empowering on. Now, without further ado, let's get into season 11 Episode one, entitled Budget Like a Boss with Pamela Kapalit. We're back with another amazing, winning woman of color entrepreneur, Pam. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited to talk to you and learn more from you. And y'all, we about to be talking about a subject that I ain't ready, y'all. I'm not ready. Pam going to be stepping all over my toes. So if you feel that way, we are in this together, right? So you're going to be preaching to me today, Pam. So let me tell you all more about Pam before we get started, right? And I have permission to call her Pam, but she her name is Pamela Kapalit. Pamela Kapalit is a certified financial planner and accredited financial counselor and has been in financial services since 2008. She founded Brunch and Budget to help people who felt ashamed or embarrassed about money have a safe place to make real financial progress. Pam has been featured in Washington Post, Teen Vogue, Huffington Post, Vice Magazine, and was named New York Magazine's Best Financial Planner of New York in 2019. In addition to all of this, Pam is also a fellow podcaster, so be sure to go check out her podcast, Brunch and Budget. Again, Pam, so excited. Look, I'm excited and nervous. I'm going to just be real. (laughs) 
That's a good feeling. You know what I learned recently too in psychology is that you have the same physiological response in your body when you're excited or nervous. So here we go. Okay. Listen. So, okay. That means I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. Right. So, so let's start off by you telling us more about brunch and budget and what inspired you to start your company. Yeah. Brunch and budget was really, it was kind of an accident. So I was trying to start a whole different company that still exists called pockets change. Cause when I was in college, I was teaching financial literacy camps for kids And I was working with a counselor there and we looked at each other while we were teaching these camps and we were like, this should be in every school in America. Like, why didn't I get this when I was a kid? Right. And so we started a company called Pockets Change, which is hip hop and finance for youth. And I started that in 2008 when I went into the financial services industry. And my goal was to learn everything I could learn about finance and then go back and teach kids about money. Right. But as I was going through my career and talking to more friends about it and friends of mine were finding out that I was in finance, they just come up to me at parties and ask me finance questions like, you know, what a Roth IRA is or how to pay down credit card debt or how to look up your credit score and things like that. And I realized like, oh my God, my friends who are adulting right now don't have a place to go to talk about money. They don't know who to turn to. And they're also a little bit ashamed and embarrassed to ask these questions. So brunch and budget really came from literally like a night at a party talking to a friend and she grabbed my hand and she said, Pam, I've never checked my credit score before, but I'm so afraid to look. And I looked back at her and I said, do you want to do it over brunch or something? And her whole body changed. And she looked at me and she was like, oh my God, like a brunch and budget. And I was like, oh my God, yes, like a brunch and budget. (laughs) That is where the name came from. We met, she like made me some food. We checked her credit score together. Literally, I held her hand. And after that, I just emailed a bunch of my friends. And I said, hey, if you need financial advice, just buy me a meal or make me a meal and let's talk, right? Because I was in wealth management. I couldn't help my friends because they didn't have enough money, ironically. It's like the worst system ever. But I started trading food for advice and then they started telling their friends and they started telling their friends. And I was like, wow, people really don't have a place to go. And if I can make this as comfortable for people as possible, then they're willing to have a real conversation, right? And I think when you break bread with someone and you find common ground with them, it just changes, it just changes the environment, right? It makes people feel more comfortable. It puts people at ease. People can let their guard down. So I want us to all feel like that on this podcast as well. Ask all your questions. The thing we've been saying recently is get shameless about your money, y'all. It's time to get shameless about your money. Mm, 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 mm. I love that. And we're going to come back to shame. We're going to come back to that. I love that. And I do agree with you that financial literacy should be something that's taught in schools, you know, as early as who knows what age, right? But it's super important because it's how we thrive as adults. You know, and it is interesting and it probably goes to the fact that it's not taught in school to why so many adults are, you know, in the position that they're in. Right. Because, you know, most of the time their people can't even teach them. Right. Like we're sort of walking around blind, so to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We never get it in school. And then when you're an adult, they're like, oh, you should know this all already. Right. And I think that Pockets Change, which is the name of the hip hop and finance organization, One thing that we also learned is that even if you do get it in school, it's not 
relevant to you at that age. And so, you know, the way that people teach it and the way that people talk about it also makes you feel bad about it already at that age, right? And feel ashamed about it before you even have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So it's like so many levels where we need to really figure out how to have a true, honest conversation about these things. Right, right. That was good. Look, and then the trading food for advice. Look, sign me up because I'm a foodie, right? Look, I need, <laughs> I might I might be adopting that business model for a little bit. Look. <laughs> it was a pretty delicious time. Listen, I'm like, oh, that is genius. Genius, <laughs> right? And I thought it was super cool. Like, I love when you don't even have to think of the name for your business. Someone thinks of it for you. I know. I was like, wow, that's catchy. Right. I got chills. I got chills when you said that. Like, oh my goodness, that was so awesome. All right, fam. So let's dig in. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. Look, y'all hear the tone of my voice, right? Because I'm nervous, y'all. I'm nervous, but we're going to dig in. So in talking about or in thinking about financial planning, you know, like what are some preliminary steps that you give a person that's, you know, out the gate, not knowing anything about what they should do? Yeah, I think the first thing is, and the reason why the brunch aspect is so important to brunch and budget, even though we don't actually brunch anymore because it's, you know, COVID, pandemic, all of that stuff, is to really figure out and find the root of where there is fear and shame and embarrassment and figure out why. So one of the things that we have all our clients start with is a money personality quiz. So we have four money personalities and it's a two-question quiz. If you don't mind, I can give it to you now so you can figure out your money personality. Okay. You ready? Yeah. So the first question is, what do you think about more? Are you A, more concerned about what you have in the bank now and it doesn't feel real until it's in your account? Or B, are you thinking about spending the next check in your head before you get it? Oh, I think I may be in between the two, right? So I'll go with A. Okay. And then the next question is, do you A, tend to plan ahead or B, tend to deal with things as they come? B. Uh, Okay. So your money personality is what we call a contemplator. And contemplators are... The way that you deal with stress about money is you're like, I'll just deal with it tomorrow. I'll just deal with it next day. I'll just deal with it later. I don't really like thinking about money. There's more important things to think about. So a lot of contemplators, when they're in their very contemplatory state, maybe have a stack of envelopes that are unopened. (laughs) Yeah, For people listening, (laughs) right? I just put my hand in my head because Pam must have been inside my house, y'all. She must have been (laughs) inside my house. But continue. You have all of these numbers in your head and you're like, okay, I'll get to that later. I'll get to this later. I'll get to that tomorrow. Because you don't want to think about it. Money stresses you out. So your solution is like, let me push it off till later. And also a lot of contemplators, they, you're really good at getting out of difficult situations. Like your superpower is thriving in chaos, right? And so what ends up happening is sometimes contemplators create situations where chaos can happen so that they can get out of them. And so a lot of contemplators are like, well, this person's knocking down my door. And so let me take care of this thing first, instead of having control of what you actually prioritize when it comes to your finances. And so you know all the late fees, you know when things are going to get shut off or not shut off. You're very aware of the dollars, right? But you're also like, I don't want to look. How'd I do? Oh my goodness. Look, we might have to scrap this from the weekend too personal, y'all. Y'all know all my business, (laughs) all of my business. That is so 
deep. That is yeah. so deep because when you were before you even started, when you said this is how contemplators deal with financial stuff. And the word in my head was ignore or, you know, like act like it's not there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know for sure that's me. You know, the stacks of papers, that's a whole, we're not going to even talk about it. I'm, I'm working on myself, y'all. I'm working on yeah. myself. You know, I do agree with the knowing how to thrive and get out of situations. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. so funny because I look at other people that create situations to then solve them. And, you know, it's like, oh, they create a problem to solve it. I never thought I was one of those people, right? <laughs> but I need to assess myself now. You know, yeah. to see where I can, you know, where I'm I'm falling into that lane, especially in relation to my finances. That was so good. Thank you. And Thank you know you what's know. so comforting about the money personalities is there's only four of them. So you are not the only one that deals with money like this, right? And often our money personalities reveal our relationship with money and also potentially reveal our history with money and any potential money trauma that we had, maybe we experienced as a child, maybe we experienced as an early adult. And this is how we decided to deal with the stress, right? This is how we decided, okay, this is how I personally am going to get through this. And so there's no good or bad money personalities. They all have their pros and cons. And if you're curious, anyone who's listening, if you go to brunchandbudget.com slash personality, you can take the test yourself and find out what your money personality is. But the reason why we have people start there is because none of the advice that I am about to give you will mean anything if it doesn't resonate with you, right? And so when you learn what your money personality is, not only can you start to understand your relationship with money, but you can start to filter financial advice and just say, because you know yourself, oh, that doesn't actually work for me, or oh, that doesn't sound right, or I actually don't want to try that, right? And the thing also about contemplators, I will say, is what we've noticed is contemplators tend to have a threshold for how long you can think about it, right? And so if you can only think about it for 15 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, 30 minutes, whatever that is, don't force yourself to spend like an entire day working on your finances, right? It's okay that you can't do that. If you know that about yourself, you can say, oh, I need to break this up into bite-sized pieces and like only look at my money like 15 minutes a day or like 30 minutes a week. And so that way you can say, this is what I can accomplish in 30 minutes and move on versus saying, oh wait, I have such a long list of things to get done and then just not get started at all. Right, right. I like that. I like that. So that is going into things I love to talk about, right? Like awareness of -hmm. who you are and where you're at, even acceptance. You know, if this isn't your thing, don't try to do the thing because you're, you know, putting a square peg into a circle hole, right? So I think that's super cool. I love that. So you mentioned something that I want to explore a little more. You talked about money trauma. Like what what does that look like? Yeah, so let me tell you my money trauma story. So I am a complicator. That's money personality. It's opposite side of the same coin of yours actually, where the way that I deal with stress about money is I feel like I have to make everything a priority and I have to take care of it all at once and like every big or small, it's like big for me, right? <laughs> And so I had been talking about money personalities for a while. And I thought back to like where mine might have come from. And I have this memory of me when I'm like 11 years old and my parents didn't give me an allowance, but they did give me $2 every day for lunch, right? And so instead of spending the money on lunch, I would buy a cookie for 50 cents to like, you know, get through the day and then pocket the rest of the money, right? 
And it was for just in case. I wasn't saving for anything. I didn't want anything. I was just saving for the money just in case. And I wish the end of the story was, and then I bought a house with all that money. But I actually don't know what happened to it. I was just worried. That's kind of the word for complicators is we're always kind of worried about money. We're always worried we're not going to have enough. And thinking back to that time, I realized like my mom lost her job at that time, but she didn't tell us. And so we as kids were just like, oh my God, what's going on? There's so much stress around money. We all of a sudden can't afford things. You know, my mom has had to say no more. And I thought it was my fault. I thought this $2 they were giving me every day for lunch was the reason why, like, you know, we might run out of money. And so I just like hoarded the money. I saved as much as I could. I'm that person now. I'm super frugal. I'm the type of person who will like spend an hour trying to find a $5 off coupon for... <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I will like spend three days researching to make sure I find the best dishwasher. And I think that, you know, that's one story of many stories that I'm sure I have around like my relationship with money that started as a kid. And that that was a traumatic experience that I didn't even know how to address at that time, you know, and it, it took like me really like digging in to my relationship with money to be able to heal it. Mm, I like that. I like that. That's deep. That's deep. So just listening to your story and I appreciate you for sharing it. Right. Like it makes me wonder personally, like I can't think of anything. Right. But I'm sure that, like you said, dig deep. Right. So for anyone mm -hmm. listening where it's like, well, I don't know, you know, what my money trauma may be. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe some meditating, you know, some journaling, some kind of practice to, you know, kind of dig deep and get deep down to the root of that thing. And I do want to let everyone know we're going to put the link to your money personality quiz in the show notes. So awesome. check that out, y'all. Check that out, right? Look, I'm excited about it. I'm going to do the quiz online myself so I can get all of the verbiage along with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So I know, now this is one thing I do know, that's your thing, right? So I know a big part of what inspires you is closing the racial wealth divide. Yes. Right. Yes. So can you start off by telling us what that is and then what we can do to help close it as well? Yeah. So the racial wealth divide, anecdotally, I started noticing it when I was working with clients and, you know, I used to work in wealth management and I didn't think about it that much until I left, but I was like, oh my God, out of 400 clients, 399 of them are white. And, you know, when I started working with clients at Brunch and Budget, at least half of them were people of color, if not more. And I started noticing some patterns. I call it first generation something, right? You're either first generation in this country, you're first generation to go to college, you're first generation to have a professional salary, you're first generation to be able to buy a home, right? And so with that comes financial obligations that people who are not first generation something don't have. So a lot of my clients of color had student loan debt you know, bigger student loan debt, more credit card debt. They were sending money back home to their parents. They were paying like their mom's rent or like paying for the family cell phone plan. They were like the money person in their family. So if there was a family emergency, they were the ones who people turned to because a lot of them were making more money than their parents, you know? And a lot of my clients also were told by their parents like, oh, by the way, you're my retirement plan, right? And so, you know, a lot of people have called this the sandwich generation, but the racial, I started really digging into this because I was like, wait a minute, like these clients 
my certified financial planner designation did not equip me to actually know how to work with them. And so I started digging into the stats. I was like, I'm not making this up. I can't be making this up, right? And so I started learning about the racial wealth divide. I actually went to a conference in 2016 that was all about the racial wealth divide. It's the Prosperity Now conference. And the stats are staggering. A couple ones that I feel like really stand out are it will take 242 years for the average Black family to catch up to the wealth of a white family today. Yeah. Ooh, I know. Let's let that one sink in. Right. Right. 242 years from now, what are we in? It's 2022, right? 2022, 242 years plus 20, 242. It will be the year 2264 before the racial wealth divide closes. And that is if white wealth just like took a pause today, Mm. right? The average white family has 10 times the wealth of the average black family. And if things continue in this direction, then the average wealth of a black family will be zero by the year 2053. Mm. You may have heard the phrase racial wealth gap before. The racial wealth divide expert that we work with, Diedrich Asante Muhammad, specifically calls it a divide because gap implies that it was an accident. Oh, there's just like a little gap over here. This is like a true like systemic divide Mm. that was manufactured, that was created by systemic policies. That if you go through history, starting with slavery, going through Jim Crow, going through things like the Chinese Exclusion Act, the GI Bill exclusions for veterans of color, redlining, all of those things led up to this racial wealth divide. Hmm. I know. Right. That's a lot. I wasn't ready. Yeah. I got chills. I'm never ready. Right. Yeah. And this (sighs) is why we do this work, you know? Right. We got merch. Go to winhersunited.com forward slash shop to check out the WinHers t-shirts. There are two options available for you in multiple colors. One is called the WinHers Courageous t-shirt and the other is called the WinHers Birthright t-shirt. The material is top notch and the designs are too cute. Remember, you're a WinHer every day. So you might as well wear the t-shirt. Get yours today at winhersunited.com forward slash shop. So what can we do, right? Like you said, it'll be 22 something, some year that, you know, we're not going to be here, right? We're not going to be here. We're not going to be here, right? Yeah. What can we do today? What can we do today? Because it's sad, Mm -hmm. you know, and I also, when I was listening to you, it made me even think of just the way the economy is going now. Like to me, it's like totally a separation of classes that are happening. Like, you know, I have a friend that lives in Silicon Valley who talks about how ketchup is $9 and some change for a bottle of ketchup, you know, but just oh like the, the price differentiations that are going on in ways that, you know, people that don't have the wealth, same wealth as other people may not even be able to afford gas to go to work or, you know, yeah. things like that. Right. So, but what can we do today? to get ourselves a little closer in the game or a little more in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is, you know, this is a very unprecedented time. I shouldn't say it's unprecedented. It is. So I am 37. I started in the industry when I was 22. And after the Great Recession kind of started in 2009, the market recovered within a year. And since then, the market has only gone up. So basically, we've had an up market or a bull market for the last 
14 years, right? The average bull market where the stocks are increasing is five to seven years long. This is the absolute longest bull market in history. Absolute longest, right? So let that sink in, first of all. It's two to three times as long as the regular bull. So we didn't have a down cycle at all, right? We didn't have a bear market to kind of correct things. And so now we're in a place where this is the first time in my adult life that I'm experiencing high inflation, that I'm experiencing the stock market going down again significantly, right? That I'm experiencing a bear market. And this is the first time I feel like in a lot of our adult lives, especially if we're millennials, where we're seeing this because for the last decade plus, everyone's been like, you want to make money, put it in the stock market because that's what was happening, right? And so there is a lot of fear around what to do. And I think, you know, the first thing is if you are someone who is already invested, if you have money investments, and that includes like 401k, IRA, company retirement accounts, that money's invested, that money's in the market. If you haven't checked your account lately, don't because it's probably down. Because <laughs> that's where the market is. Yeah, right. But the advice that I have for that is wait it out. If you have time, if you have five plus years until retirement, because the average bear market only lasts a year or two, right? And so if you're invested in the market, it's time to hang tight. The Uh other thing to think about is, one, if you are in a position where you can ask for more money at work, if they gave you a cost of living raise, cost of living is not two, 3% anymore, right? Inflation is at like eight, 9% now. And so if you just got a raise or you're in a position where you it's time to ask for one or get a promotion, ask for more money than you normally would. Because companies who are you know using your labor have to keep up with inflation as well, right? Because you do, your expenses have to keep up. The other thing to think about is to increase your savings by a rate of inflation as well, if you're able. So if you are able to get that raise, if you're able to find other places to cut expenses, think about increasing your savings by eight, 9%. And not that you put eight, 9% away, but if you are setting aside $100 a month, set aside $109 a month instead, right? Just so that you can catch up and maintain the savings rate that you already have. And so it's really just about figuring out, you know, how to adjust your finances to this time. Because just to give you some context on inflation, in the last 14 years, we've had historically low inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Average inflation rates in the history of inflation are like 3 to 4%. Average inflation since 2008 has been 1.5% to 2%. It's been half of what it usually is. Mm. So we didn't see the value of the dollar go down that much. And I don't really know or think this is a correction on inflation, but it is really interesting to think about the levels of investment prosperity that we went through in the last 14 years to now. Right. Weird time. It definitely is. It definitely is. I love those practical tips, though, right? Because I think, you know, especially when it comes to finances, it may, you know, for me, the person that wants to hide and not pay attention to it, it seems so out there, you know, and like it has to be so complicated, but it doesn't, you know, like those were practical tips, you know, ask for what you need, right? Mm-hmm, Save mm-hmm. more money, right? Heard, y'all and not heard that it much here. more. $109 instead of 100 right? Right. Right, right. That reminds me of the, what is that? Like the penny, I don't know, the things you see on Facebook where it's like how to save and they tell you 30 days and it's like, save a penny. Oh, yeah, the next day, save three pennies. 
you know, but just, you know, bump it up a little bit, y'all. Bump it up a little bit. And I'm talking to me, too. I'm talking to me. (laughs) So let's switch over a bit and talk about some mindset things, right? Different mindset shifts. So what's your perspective on having like a YOLO mentality, you know? And I feel like a lot of times I live there versus a saving for the future mentality. (laughs) I know, right? Opposite money personalities right here. I think that everyone should have a YOLO budget. I really do. One of our big philosophies at Brunch and Budget is wants are needs too. It's not wants versus needs. That's some bullshit, honestly. Like it's not a fight. It's not like, oh, my needs are more important than my wants or, oh, my wants are more important than my needs. They're not in opposition, right? We need to acknowledge that both things exist and they need to exist for us to be healthy people, right? Because your needs or what people call your needs, your fixed expenses like your rent and your cell phone bill and your utilities and like all groceries, whatever, right? Those are all things that people love to tell you, especially finance people are like, that's all you need to spend money on. Only spend money on your needs, right? Who actually does that? Right, your life Who actually be very does that? dry. Very yeah, dry life. exactly. <laughs> and also like, what are you making money for then, right? So the thing is that when you deny your wants, And when you deny them for too long, then at some point you're going to crack and you're going to lose it and you're going to say, forget it. Right. Like an example that I like to use is like, you know, if you're someone who likes to buy coffee every day, buy coffee every day, because I've seen it when you don't, when you deny yourself of those things, because your wants are not your wants. While your needs are your physical needs, your wants are your emotional needs. Those Mm. are the things that make you feel like you. They're the things that make you whole. They're often a part of your identity. They're the things that recharge you. They're the things that replenish you, right? They're the things that like recharge your willpower. So if you have to buy coffee every day because it recharges your willpower for the day, do it. Because if you don't, if you deny yourself of that coffee every day, at the end of the week, you know you're going to tell yourself like, I was so good, right? I deserve a cup of coffee. But not only do I deserve a cup of coffee, I'm going to take myself out to dinner too. And I'm going to go shopping over the weekend because I was so good. I didn't buy myself that coffee every day, you know? And so when you acknowledge your wants, but not just acknowledge them, give yourself permission, financial permission to actually buy your wants and do it guilt-free, then I promise you, you will actually spend less money and also enjoy the things you spend money on way more. Mm, mm. I like that. I like that. And the word that stuck out to me most was like guilt free. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I recently splurged on a purchase, you know, of something I felt like I deserved. Right. But I did it guilt free to where, you know, it's not like it's something that, you know, I'm going to do every day. Right. And then I'm also not beating myself up to, you know, put myself into this cocoon to then have to splurge again, you know, or what yeah. have you. Right. So that that's good. That's really good. I, I don't know if anyone ever gave I, I've never heard anyone say go buy the coffee. I heard people like go buy it from the supermarket and make it yourself or something like that. Right. I like it. I feel like that that's like an insulting thing to tell someone who truly like looks forward to their coffee every day. Because mm-hmm. it could be it could mean anything, right? It could mean I love coffee. It could mean I need to get out of the office for a few minutes and have an excuse. It could mean it is the moment that I take to like breathe for 15 minutes, right? 
whatever that does for you, the coffee is a representation of that. And you have to acknowledge that to be able to like really get shameless about your finances. Right. Right. That's good. That's good. Cause I, I feel like historically it has been like a, well, from what I know, right. It has been a, a deprivation Mm-hmm. mentality or deprivation teaching, you know, where it's like you have to deprive yourself. Right. So I, I like that because what you're saying is more realistic, you know, and it'll have a person like me being more, you know, open to, you know, looking at my finances or doing stuff with my finances because, you know, it's I don't have to say no, so to say, to myself in yeah. every aspect of life. Right. Yeah. And I think that, too, like if you look at if you look through your expenses, And the first thing you do is to look for all the things that you loved spending money on and you say yes to those things. Everything else is a default. No, right. Everything else can be like, oh, like for me, I remember looking through my finances and I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was spending $10 for lunch every day. I don't even remember eating those meals. Okay, that's out. And Mm. instead, I actually ended up giving myself a bigger restaurants budget where I could eat out more often with friends and like try new food. And I actually was able to save money because I stopped buying forgettable lunches and instead splurged on like really nice meals. I like that. I like that. What can you swap? Yeah. Swap. Right. Right. That's good. So basically shame around having, I feel like shame can come around having financial conversations as well as looking at finances. Like you said, you know, with your friend, you literally had to hold her hand, you know, and of course Mm -hmm. that's due to the state they might be in or just a person's money trauma, like we talked about, right? So what advice can you offer anyone feeling shameful when it comes to saving or when it comes to financial planning? Well, first of all, the shame is taught to us, right? Money is the last taboo. You can talk about all kinds of things with your friends. Like I remember we we share the stat and pocket change that parents are more afraid to talk to their kids about money than about sex, drugs, or terrorism, mm. right? You're encouraged to not talk about your salaries. When you have credit card debt, you're encouraged to hide it. You know, you're encouraged to not talk about money when you have too little and also to not talk about money when you have too much. But what's too little and what's too much? We're all guessing, we're all making it up, right? And so this shame is made to make us feel like we're all alone, that we're the only ones making these mistakes, that we're the only one that's bad with money, that everyone else has it figured out. And because we don't talk to each other about it, the shame just grows and grows and grows and you bury yourself further and further under it to the point where it doesn't feel like you can get out from under it. And this is all taught to us. This is all, I have so many friends and especially in communities of color where we're taught to not air our financial laundry, right? You know, that it's not polite. I remember uh, we were teaching a workshop for middle school kids and we were talking about the money taboo and like how to break it down and how to have conversations with your peers around money. And one of the kids raised his hand and he asked me like, how much money do you make? And before I could even answer, the teacher from across the room yelled at him that you cannot ask that question. That is rude. That is not okay. That is not nice. After we had just spent like 10 minutes talking about how you should talk about money. Right. And so we had to, in that moment, like undo what she just did. Oh, wow. That's how deep it goes. Right. She heard everything we said. And that was her gut reaction. 
That was her, you know, I don't blame her because that's what she was taught, right? Even when you acknowledge it intellectually, there's a lot of deep embodied stuff where you're like, but I should feel ashamed about this, but I should be embarrassed about this, right? And so how do you break that down? How do you break down those walls? How do you figure out how to talk about it and find a safe space for it? And I think that that's, you know, everyone has their own journey on that. But if you can start just like talking about it with your friends and start sharing stories with your friends and start sharing experiences with your friends around money and start talking to your family members about it, if you can, then I feel like that is how we break down the money taboo because everyone is also dying to talk about this. Mm. As much as we feel shame at the idea of talking about this, when you let the floodgate open, and I've seen this personally, right? I have brunch with over 400 people, right? One-on-one, sitting across from them, talking about their finances. And when you open the floodgates, people want to talk about this. It's something that you imagine, like you've been holding this in your whole life. And finally, someone says, here, I'm here to listen. Let's talk about it. Mm. You know? Right, right. I like that. Look, you you just let me know I have to undo something because just it was like not even a week ago. My son, I don't know if he asked me how much money I have, how much money I make, but he asked me something about money. And I'm like, why? You don't need to know that. You know, and that was just my immediate thing. Like, you don't need to know that. Right. That's good. Mm. So then also, mm. though, right, it made me think of, you know, I think. Well, just for my personal self, right? Like when it comes to sharing money, like to me, that's like a safety thing. You know, I want to buy coming after my money, you know, like or coming mm-hmm. after me per se. Right. So then it's the, you know, idea of keeping yourself safe by keeping things like this a secret. I think it also goes against like jealousy. You don't want, you know, people to be jealous of you or to make them feel ostracized if they don't have the money you have or, you know, or you to get ostracized from the people you know, because you may have more or less than them. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, all those feelings are very real because again, we're taught that money is a measurement of our self-worth, right? One of the things that we always say too is your net worth does not equal your self-worth. So the fact that we use money as a measurement of whether someone is worthy, that's what you just described, right? is, oh, well, I have more money than that person. So they might feel embarrassed because they might think that I'm worth more than them. Wow. Right. I didn't even think about it like that. But yeah. Right. What does that mean? What has that been doing to us, that mindset for all these years? That because if you have more money than someone else, then you might be able to help them get into your position, right? If someone has less money than you, they might need advice from you, you know, and vice versa. And so there's so much that we can learn and share with each other if we just figured out how to get through that barrier. Mm. And I'm not saying you have to share your entire like bank account or like your balances or anything like that with people right off the bat, right? It's more about figuring out how you can start and initiate the conversation. And it can be small things. It can be like, hey, you know, I was trying to apply for a credit card the other day and I couldn't figure out which one to get. What do you have? Or it could be like, hey, like my savings account is in this place. Where's your savings account? Mm. You don't have to share numbers. It can start with like simple things like that. Or, you know, like, hey, I spent such and such money on this thing. You know, how much did you spend on it? Right. You know, and in New York, it's so funny because like money is that taboo unless it's like how much do you pay in rent? 
You can ask that to anyone at any oh, they point love to share that. You just met them on the street. You're like, how much money do you pay in rent? <laughs> right? Right, right. That's a figure people love to share, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, eyes out the head in relation to that. I'm from New Jersey, right? So mm, yeah, so you get it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But down here in Florida, they kicking it up down here too. So that's a whole nother thing too, right? Yeah. That's interesting though. Like why are, and that's something, you know, to explore as well. Like why is some money conversations okay and others not okay? Yep. Hmm. Yeah. And it's all something we agreed upon. Right. Yeah. It's all something we decided this was okay. This is not, but why? Right. Right. Y'all know we believe in changing the narrative. Y'all look, we got a lot of homework. Pam giving us all the homework to change (laughs) all the narratives. Right. I'm with y'all. We're going we gonna to do it together. Hold your hands. All right. So we briefly talked about this. I want to explore it a little more, right? Like, I feel like unless your head was or has been buried somewhere in the sand, we've all heard about the pending recession, right? And Pam, you talked about it briefly, but tell us how we can recession-proof our finances if that isn't something you've already touched on. Yeah. So I feel like that, you know, the the tips that I gave earlier about asking for more money, right? Even if you got your raise already, maybe it's time to say, hey, it's not keeping up with inflation, you know, increasing your savings a little bit to keep up with inflation. And I think one, I want to caveat, there's no real way to recession proof anything, right? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to affect us. You don't know if you're going to lose your job tomorrow or, you know, how low the stock market is going to go, or if it's going to bounce up again, these are all things that are out of our control. And so now is the time to think about what you can control, right? Is it your job? Is it your spending? Is it cutting back on things, right? Is it increasing your savings? And so there are key basics that you can just turn the notch up on a little bit And also now is a really good time to examine your habits and if they're working for you. So when we were talking about wants or needs too, we buy plenty of things that we don't actually want, but we think we need, (laughs) right? Oh, that's deep. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think that now is the time to like examine your expenses and like really like, so we have this thing called spending values matrix. And there are two boxes in the matrix. One is called the details and one is called the nothing. And your details are those wants that I was describing, right? Like buying a cup of coffee every day. Mine is like pedicures and going out to restaurants and trying new food. And those are the things that make me whole. Those are the things that make me me, right? And it's a fun exercise to figure out what that is for yourself, right? What are your details? What are the things? Because you know, it's a detail when one, you feel a little bit of like delight when you think about doing it. But also you might feel a little bit of guilt because you hear someone in the back of your head saying, that's not a need, that's not a need, right? So those are your details. Those are the things that you keep in your budget. But we get tricked into buying stuff all the time. (laughs) All the time. Advertising. I've bought so many stupid random things on Instagram ads where I'm like, wait, when did I buy that? It just like came in the mail a week later. Was I like sleep buying things? Like what's going on? Like I remember, oh my God, there was this ad for like $20 chapstick that was like, your lips will stay soft more than other chapsticks. 
and I remember just seeing the ad a bunch. And then one day it like appeared in my, in my mailbox. And I was like, did I buy this? I must've bought it. (laughs) I don't even remember doing it, you know, (laughs) but like, we're all susceptible, right? We're all susceptible because we get tired. We get exhausted. We like lose our willpower. And so when you go through your expenses and you look at the actual transactions and where you spend your money, you can say, oh, when you think to yourself, like, I don't even remember buying that. I don't even remember taking all those Ubers. I don't even remember like those DoorDash meals that I bought. That's a place to examine, like, what can I do to cut this? Like, what is this habit that I've created that means I'm like buying DoorDash like three, four times a night, right? You know, what is causing this? And I know, and this is a true example for me, like, I don't build in time to like make dinner. And so I like work and work and work until I'm like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. I'm so hungry. So instead of taking 45 minutes to make dinner, I'm going to spend 15 minutes on the app deciding what to eat and then wait an hour for the food to come because that makes sense, right? (laughs) Listen. Well, you're saving gas, right? Because I'll be the one going out to the store. You're not taking it up. There you go. I'll be the one going to the store. Like, okay, I'm not cooking. Where are we going? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And those habits just sneak up on you because it's so convenient to buy the thing. And right. so now, as we are probably entering a recession and you're seeing inflation and you're seeing ketchup cost $9, right? Like, what can you cut that you probably wouldn't even miss? Mm. that's what we're looking for first and foremost, right? If you're in a place where you're like, wow, like, why does it feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck all of a sudden, or that I've been living paycheck to paycheck, like take a look at what you're spending money on that you've been using to get through the day, but doesn't actually replenish you. Right. 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 I think that's a good one. I know one of the things that I need to do personally is get rid of some of these subscriptions that I don't subscribe to that I don't even touch. You know, don't even touch, but just so used to or not even paying attention to the fact that it's coming out of my bank account every single month. Can I give you some advice knowing that you're a contemplator? Don't try to unsubscribe to all of them at once. Okay. Go just unsubscribe to like one a month. Like, oh, wait. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember having that. Let me unsubscribe to this, you know, because knowing that you have a threshold, right? For like how long you can think about money. It's like, instead of being like, okay, I'm going to comb through all of my transactions and find every single subscription that I have and make a spreadsheet for it and then cancel them all at once. It's going to take me three hours. Like just do one at a time. It'll take you 10 minutes each time. Mm, I like that. Look, Pam giving out all, listen, I appreciate you, Pam. Look, you (laughs) look, okay. So before we transition over, I recently look because I know that I need to get better with finances. So one of the things that I recently did was watch the new Netflix series. Is it called Get Smart with Money or something like that? Oh, I've heard about it. Yeah. Did you? Oh, you didn't watch it? No, I didn't watch it. Okay, so we won't talk about it. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. No, it was cool. It was like so four different financial people. So Mm -hmm. the Budgetista. Yes. Tiffany. Is her name Tiffany? Okay, so she was one of the people, but it was four different people in different parts of their journey. Right. So one guy, I remember he was a NFL person, right? Like in Mm -hmm. the NFL about to take off. But then I think he got injured, you know, so now and then he wasn't doing good with his money, you know, so it's like the money he had kind of went out into the wind and he had a little bit left. 
So the guy that was helping him was helping him to get into the stock market because it's like, how could you make, you know, this money you have now work for you, being that you have a little bit, but you've kind of let the rest of it blow away. You know, one of the other ladies, she was working like two jobs, dead end jobs that wasn't really doing anything for her. You know, so the the lady was really she helped her with thinking about a business to start and, mm-hmm. you know, all kind of stuff like that. Like, how can you get more money into your life? The other person helped the family cut down on expenses because he retired. So it was a guy that retired like at a mm-hmm. super young age. So he helped them find ways to cut expenses so that they can retire and the fourth person, or maybe it was only a third person, because it's fourth person, it's escaping my head. One, two, three. No, it probably was. I can't remember, right? So, but those, that was the premise. Like, it was four different yeah. journeys and different ways that you could actually do things to, you know, increase your funds, decrease your expenses and things like that, right? So I thought it was super cool. Mm, that is cool. Yeah, I'll check so it I out. Just, I, wanted your, I wanted your feedback. Yeah, so check it out. Yeah, right? Look, check it out. Tell me what they could have did better. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll come back for that one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so self-care, right? Like, and the premise of this podcast is four different things, right? Business, mindset, personal development, and self-care. And I believe like throughout the conversation, like if you all pay attention, like all of these concepts have been interweaven, right? Or interwoven into all of the things. But I have a specific self-care question, which is interesting because to me, when I first hear it, that doesn't sound like the self-care that I want to think about. But in essence, I know it is, right? So when we spoke previously, you talked about saving being a form of self-care. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. <laughs> I know you're like, that doesn't sound like a pedicure. Hold on. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> <laughs> So I recently, I wish I could find this comic, but there was a comic that talked about the difference between self-care versus self-soothing. And so self-care is not usually fun, right? Self-care is like brushing your teeth, going to the doctor, you know, making sure that your car's oil is changed, right? And saving is one of those things. And it's not just a maintenance thing, but it's a you have to do these things regularly or you'll burn out. You just won't be able to function. And the reason why I say that saving is self-care is because it's something that one, you need to make as a habit and think of as a habit. Saving is an action word, right? Saving is, if you think about saving, we think about like a savings account. It's like a pile of money that's sitting there not doing anything. But saving is something that you do, right? Saving is a verb. And so when you think about saving in that way and you think about it as something that you do to take care of yourself, then that is what makes it self-care. And it's something that if you figure out how to integrate it into your life and it feels like brushing your teeth, right? It feels like taking a shower and it feels like something that's second nature. And that's you taking care of yourself every single day so that when you get to the point where like, oh, wait, I need that money. It's there for you. You know, you don't put yourself in a position where you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Right. And you don't put yourself in a position where you can potentially spiral. Mm. And so when you can take care of yourself through savings, I also like to say that savings is the financial equivalent of putting your oxygen mask on first. Mm. And And I say this, especially to POC, because we love helping everybody else. Right. We love taking care of everybody else first, right? You will give your last dollar to your family member because they they tell you they need it. 
Meanwhile, your savings account isn't there either. And so when you put yourself first, and a lot of people also love saying pay yourself first when it comes to savings. And that's because when you put yourself first and when you're able to take care of yourself, then you can take care of your community, right? Then you can take care of everybody else. And so saving is something that we want you to think of as active and not passive. Saving Mm -hmm. is not just the act of not spending, right? Just because you didn't spend money on that dress didn't mean you didn't spend money somewhere else. When you actively put money into savings and you're saying yes to your future self, that's self-care. That's deep. Look, I I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I I like the way you put it as far as being an act, right? Because I'm good for not spending in place A so that I can spend in place B. So you just put me directly in my place. Thank you very much. (laughs) Right. I often say that, you know, sometimes self-care isn't sexy, right? Like you reminded Mm -hmm. me of when I went to the dentist, right? And I took a picture and I'm like, this is self-care today, you know, and it was a pain, right? But ultimately, you know, in the future, I'm making sure I got my teeth and I don't got to get those dentures, right? So I think that's really good. All right, Pam out here changing our mind today, y'all. She changing our mind today. I love it. All right, Pam, so... Tell us about your latest win and why it's important to you. Oh, oh my gosh. That's a really good question. What is my latest win? Yes. So it's a personal win. Speaking of self-care, something that especially since COVID, I haven't been able to do and haven't prioritized is exercising and eating well and taking care of myself in that way, speaking of self-care. And so I started seeing a somatic eating coach to help me figure out what's going on with like my relationship with food specifically. And one of the things that she asked me to do was to figure out what type of movement makes my body happy. Not what type of movement I should do, not what type of movement like will optimize like my workouts or whatever but just like what makes me happy. So this week I've been experimenting with like a bunch of different things. Like I just took a walk yesterday. I did like a little dance video tomorrow. I'm going to try Pilates. And so I'm just like, like in the headspace of like, let me just see what I like instead of like, let me see how I can lose weight as fast as possible. And that's been a win for me. I love that. And I feel like it ties into your wants or needs and, you know, Perfect segue mm-hmm. with the self-care, right? And oh my goodness, I love it. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know there was a coach like it's a coach for anything out there. Look, y'all need some help. You look, it's no excuses. It's a coach for anything you need help yep. for. It's true. Listen, okay. All right. So tell us what being a winner means to you. I oh my God, I love the name so much, especially because I feel like that when it comes to women and finances talk about shame, right? We're taught that we're not worth as much as men in the very literal financial sense. And so the name of your podcast and just, you know, I think it really encapsulates in a very quick way that we deserve to win too. Mm, mm, Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I love that because we do. And it does, right? So it's so funny you say Mm -hmm. that because the premise the overall premise is like a uh, leadership development, you know, and personal leadership, right? So leading yourself. And when people think of a leader, like they think of a white male, mm-hmm. you know, like that's the first thing that they think of is from, you know, surveys and things like that. So I really love 
you know that you said that. We deserve it too. We do. All right, Pam. So look, I'm a podcaster. You a fellow podcaster. I don't know. You might you might not talk as much as I do, but I like <laughs> to talk and I will hold you hostage, but I'm not going to do that, right? So what parting words or advice do you have for us? And then let us know where we can find you. Yeah, I know you've said it throughout the podcast, but like really and truly, like start getting shameless about your money. You know, that's the first way to really just like release yourself from feeling trapped about it, right? No matter what anyone has told you your money should look like, it doesn't matter. Where you are in your financial journey is where you are in your financial journey. And that's all that means. And there's always more steps to take. And there's always first steps to take no matter where you are. Mm, I like that. And we can find you at brunchandbudget.com on Instagram at brunch and budget. It's A-N-D spelled out and on Twitter at brunch and budget and on TikTok at brunch and budget. Oh, we got to go check out Pam TikTok, y'all. See what what kind of (laughs) thing she up there doing. (laughs) (laughs) Just started. It's not that exciting yet, but we're getting there. (laughs) <laughs> okay, look, we got to start what you said. You got to start somewhere. You got to yep. start somewhere. Always I the love first that. Step. Always the first step. That's what you said. Oh, my goodness, Pam. This has been so enlightening. I did not expect to be on the hot seat. You see what I go through, y'all? I, do you see what I go through to bring y'all the goods? Like, listen, you know, so I am in the journey with you and so appreciate your presence and just all your knowledge today, Pam. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I really enjoyed this interview with Pam, and I hope you did as well. Pam blew me away with her budgeting quiz. I highly suggest that you head over to her website and check it out. I can't believe how she broke me all the way down, but also gave me tips for how I can be successful right where I am. This was a major takeaway for me. But enough about me. How about you? What's your takeaway from this episode? Send me an email and let me know. My email is winhersunited at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. One of my mottos is sharing is caring. So I sure hope that you care to share. I look forward to receiving an email from you. Don't forget to go to winhersunited.com forward slash podcast so you can check out the show notes for this episode. There you can read Pam's full bio and get the links to connect with Pam, get the cash app handle for Win Hers United, get the direct link to my Buy Me A Coffee page, get the link to get your Win Hers t-shirt and more. We'll be back in two weeks with another amazing winning woman of color entrepreneur. But until then, as always, be empowered and empower on.